Welcome to the Daily Bite with your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. We march onward in the book with chapter 31 of Ezekiel. In the eleventh year, in the third month, on the first day of the month, the word of Yahweh came to me. Son of man, say to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his multitude, Whom are you like in your greatness? Behold, Assyria was a cedar in Lebanon, with beautiful branches and forest shade, and of towering height its top among the clouds. The waters nourished it, the deep made it grow tall, making its rivers flow around the place of its planting, sending forth its streams to all the trees of the field. So it towered high above all the trees of the field. Its boughs grew large and its branches long, from abundant water in its shoots. All the birds of the heavens made their nest in its boughs. Under its branches all the beasts of the field gave birth to their young, and under its shadow lived all great nations. It was beautiful in its greatness, in the length of its branches, for its roots went down to abundant waters. The cedars in the garden of God could not rival it, nor the fir trees equal its boughs. Neither were the plane trees like its branches. No tree in the garden of God was its equal in beauty. I made it beautiful in the mass of its branches, and all the trees of Eden envied it that were in the garden of God. Therefore, thus says the Lord Yahweh, because it towered high and set its top among the clouds, and its heart was proud of its height, I will give it into the hand of a mighty one of the nations. He shall surely deal with it as its wickedness deserves. I have cast it out. Foreigners, the most ruthless of nations, have cut it down and left it. On the mountains and in the valleys its branches have fallen, and its boughs have been broken in all the ravines of the land. And all the peoples of the earth have gone away from its shadow and left it. On its fallen trunk dwell all the birds of the heavens, and on its branches are all the beasts of the field. All this in order that no trees by the waters may grow to towering height or set their tops among the clouds, and that no trees drink water may reach up to them in height. For they are all given over to death, to the world below, among the children of man, with those who go down to the pit. Therefore, thus says the Lord Yahweh, On the day the cedar went down to Sheol, I caused mourning. I closed the deep over it and restrained its rivers, and many waters were stopped. I clothed Lebanon in gloom for it, and all the trees of the field fainted because of it. I made the nations quake at the sound of its fall when I cast it down to Sheol with those who go down to the pit. And all the trees of Eden, the choice and best of Lebanon, all that drink water, were comforted in the world below. They also went down to Sheol with it to those who are slain by the sword, yes, those who were its arm, who lived under its shadow among the nations. Whom are you thus like in glory and in greatness among the trees of Eden? You shall be brought down with the trees of Eden to the world below. You shall lie among the uncircumcised with those who are slain by the sword. This is Pharaoh, and all his multitude declares the Lord Yahweh. So chapter 31 ends up being another chapter of judgment against Egypt, but it works a little differently here. This chapter is going to declare Egypt's judgment by comparison. We are going to hear of the judgment that the Lord cast upon the mighty nation of Assyria, and then the Lord simply shows that Egypt, compared to Assyria, is nothing. So what happened to Assyria? Assyria. 
will also take over Egypt. That's the, the general idea of the chapter here. So we have moved very, very scarcely forward. We were in 587 B.C. at the end of the last chapter, chapter 30 there, and we are still in 587 B.C., the 11th year of the exile of Ezekiel and, and the king of or the previous king of Judah. And that's May, maybe June of 587, that Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and his multitude of servants are going to hear this message proclaimed by the prophet of God. So Ezekiel begins in verse 2 by challenging them, Whom are you like in your greatness? So Egypt is a prideful nation. We've seen that already. And the question is lifted up, whom are you like in your greatness? And then suddenly Ezekiel launches into a description of the greatness of a greater nation, a larger, a more powerful nation, that of Assyria. Now Assyria is actually at this point no longer. Uh, They were a nation off to the east, a mighty and strong nation. They were really the power of the world at that time. They're going to be overthrown by Babylon. That's actually what this chapter, in a sense, is recounting. So the Babylonians replace Assyria. So a lot of the land that would be Babylon is also the land that had previously been Assyria. The Babylonians themselves, I believe, came from a little further to the east or southeast um, in their origin. So a lot of overlap between Assyria and Babylon in their geographic location. But we have Assyria described like a vast nation. That's the picture verse 3 is giving. Beautiful branches, lots of shade, towering height, to the point where its top of this tree goes above the clouds, among the clouds. So large, powerful, strong, sturdy, um, Lots of space for the animals of creation, right? You think of a very large tree, lots of animals can nest in it. Birds nesting, squirrels nesting, whatever you've got living there. Verse 4 indicates that it is the Lord who has provided. Right? Assyria didn't make its own waters. Pharaoh was just judged for that in the chapter before. Instead, God provided for them. He provided them with the water. He provided them nourishment. He provided them planting, right? The the place of its planting. Well, who planted them? Who made them? Who created them as a people in the first place? And that, again, is a reference to the Lord himself. Now, Psalm 1 could connect to this. I'd say ask your kids, but that's a connection they probably can't make at this point. Eventually, you want them to be able to. Psalm 1 is a wonderful psalm. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Notice how often scripture uses this metaphorical language of the tree. 
So Assyria planted by God in this place. And we, the people of God, blessed is the man, people of God who are planted like a tree by streams of water. We, however, are planted there not for judgment, but for a different purpose. So you might talk about that with your children. For what purpose has the Lord made us? That's a great conversation. I mean, Genesis gives you a couple of them, right? Genesis chapters 1 and 2, that we are to multiply, so we are to have children, fill the earth, subdue the earth, that is to care for it, to rule over it, and to do so well and wisely. That's our created function. That's what God put us here to do. And instead, what we see of Assyria is the Lord actually has given them a different function. They are a judge among judges. They strike down other enemies as the Lord sees fit, but then the Lord judges them as well. So Garden of Eden is going to be brought into this picture for us later. So why not bring it in in verse 4 already? Right, God planted his people, Adam and Eve, in the garden. He put them there with the streams. And the stream, the water, the river that flowed through the Garden of Eden, as it left Eden, split into four heads, four waters, four new rivers. And here you have the idea that the water that is nourishing the Syria as it leaves sends forth its streams, plural, to all the trees of the field, like it's dividing. So you get an interestingly similar depiction there although it would be hard to name those rivers. Verse 5 describes its towering height again above all other trees. That refers to its power among the nations. It is the most powerful of them all. That its boughs grew large and branches long. Again, as a reference to many people taking refuge in its shade. And that connects us to Ezekiel 17 uh, from two weeks ago. On the mountain height of Israel I will plant it, that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar, and under it will dwell every kind of bird in the shade of its branches. Birds of every sort will nest. That's a reference to Jesus, actually, as we talked about then. But you can see the parallel here. The idea of God using this metaphor to picture um, a large tree is the idea of many people will gather. In Jesus' case, many people are gathering to be saved. In a serious case, it's a worldly gathering but it is a gathering of peoples nonetheless. People from all over the world will come to Assyria on account of its power, on its status. That conversation continues those next couple of verses. Um, essentially, all of the nations feared or trusted or both the mighty nation of Assyria. Then you get to the point in verse 8 where God declares that none of the trees of the Garden of Eden could rival it. You get the phrase Garden of God in verse 8, and you have the phrase Trees of Eden and Garden of God down in verse 9. Not even the Tree of Life? I mean, right? Verse 8, no tree in the Garden of God was equal in beauty. It's a profound statement to make. And what to do with it is an interesting question because we don't really even know what to do with the Garden of Eden. Right? What happened to the Garden of Eden after the fall of Adam and Eve? God placed an angel and a flaming sword at the entrance to guard it. But then we don't hear of it again. We don't see it again. 
Did God actually leave Eden and his creation? Is it still here? Or did he leave it there temporarily and then take it, for example, prior to the flood of Noah when he destroyed the earth? We just, we don't have answers to those questions. So it is hard to then discuss these two verses much more in depth. Although it is possible, geographically, that Eden might have been somewhere around where Assyria is. Um, Assyria, and then especially Babylon afterwards, will encompass what is now modern-day Iraq, and it is Iraq that is where you find the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers merging together, and the Tigris and the Euphrates are two out of the four rivers that split um, upon leaving the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 2. So that's led a lot of people to suggest Iraq is actually the, the original location for the Garden of Eden. We don't know that for certain, because the flood certainly changed changed everything in terms of where water was and rivers change course over the course of years so it's hard to say for certain as we move well let's not skip nine i made it beautiful god provided god planted now we see god made it beautiful as well god gave them their authority he gave them their power this is true even to this day romans 13 there is not a an authority in this creation that is not from God. He is the source of all authority. So, because it towered high, but its heart was proud, God gave it into the hand of the mighty one of nations, to the most ruthless of nations, which is a reference, as we've seen already in this book, to the nation of Babylon. So Babylon is going to cut it down, and it will be left. It will be destroyed. And that verse there, verse 12, is then going to give you a depiction of the vast domain of Assyria and how this tree, you know, you think of a tree in your yard. When a storm hits, the branches fall and they land under the tree. Well, if the tree is vast and spreads out over various nations, when it's hit, its branches fall all over under the tree, right? And so as Assyria falls, is destroyed, it's not just a reference to the king, but it's a reference to the entire nation. Babylon conquers all of it, uh, is the way to think of this. All the peoples of the earth have gone away from its shadow and left it, because its shadow was no longer providing. It's like the tree that dies and withers, and so there's no more shade, because there's no more leaves to provide shade in the summer. All of this, verse 14, all this is in order that no trees by the waters may grow to towering height. This is one where we might talk about another Genesis parallel. What can you think of, what other story can you think of from Scripture where there was something of towering height that the Lord tore down and would not allow to be built again? Hopefully that will take you to the Tower of Babel or Babel from Genesis chapter 11 to give that some consideration as a family. There are some parallels here that the Lord has struck them down, that the Lord has scattered the peoples um, from underneath. And ultimately what we see is that all are being given over to death, to the world below. Is that a reference to death or hell? Well... Hard to say for sure. Um, again, the idea of going down, Sheol, 
even as we'll see that word in the next verse, was often considered to be the grave by the hearers uh, at that time. Now, can it also have a meaning of hell? Yes, the phrasing can, as we think of God binding the devil in the pit. Well, that would be a reference to hell. So, hard to say for certain. Verse 15, the cedar went down to Sheol. Again, Assyria went down. And God closed the deep over it. That means it's a permanent thing, right? They are permanently destroyed from the earth. Other nations mourned it because they lost their shade. They lost the protection. They lost the provision that they sought from that kingdom. And they also feared. They feared God's judgment that if even Assyria could fall, so could they. And all died, right? And we see that reference in verse 16 and 17. All the trees of Eden, the choice and best of Lebanon. They also, verse 17, went down to Sheol with it. This is Romans 5, verse 12. All die, for all have sinned. Even its arm, that would be a reference to military might, soldiers, they also died. So that's the comparison point, but now the comparison is driven home. Verse 18 mirrors verse 2. Whom are you thus like in glory and in greatness among the trees of Eden? How do you compare to Assyria? Well, Assyria was destroyed even though they were mightier than you. That is also your fate. The Lord will bring that upon you, O Egypt, O Pharaoh. So that's what we see with the chapter. Um, And we can ask our children actually that same question. Whom are you thus like in glory and greatness? We are actually told if we want to be great, this is Jesus teaching, for example, Mark chapter 9, if we want to be the greatest, we must be the least of all. We must be servant of all. So the Christian perspective, the Christian worldview is the opposite, not to seek power and glory and fame, but to seek to serve our neighbor, humbly to love our neighbor. So that's a good lesson for our children to learn, certainly uncircumcised are mentioned here that they would lie with the uncircumcised a reference to Pharaoh and his death but again is this death or hell the uncircumcised are now pointing you to the idea of hell because uncircumcised means they're not God's people they're outside of the covenant and what happens to those who die apart from God they perish not just the physical death but they perish body and soul in hell so Pharaoh and all his multitude This is about you. God is going to destroy Egypt in his judgment.